Welcome to the show. This is Jason Hartman, your host, and every 10th episode, we do something kind of special, kind of different. What we do is we go off topic. So regardless of which show it is on the Hartman Media Network, whether it be one of the financial shows, economics, real estate investing, travel, longevity, all of the other topics that we have, every 10th episode, we go off topic and we explore something of general interest something of general life success value and so many of our listeners around the world in 164 countries have absolutely loved our 10th episode shows so that's what we're going to do today and let's go ahead and get to our guest with a special 10th episode show and of course on the next episode we'll be back to our regular programming here we go Welcome to the Creating Wealth Show with Jason Hartman. You're about to learn a new slant on investing, some exciting techniques and fresh new approaches to the world's most historically proven asset class that will enable you to create more wealth and freedom than you ever thought possible. Jason is a genuine self-made multimillionaire who's actually been there and done it. He's a successful investor, lender, developer, and entrepreneur who's owned properties in 11 states, had hundreds of of tenants and been involved in thousands of real estate transactions. This program will help you follow in Jason's footsteps on the road to your financial independence day. You really can do it. And now, here's your host, Jason Hartman, with the complete solution for real estate investors. Welcome to episode 1421420. I have got some statistics that will blow your mind and increase your bank account. Yes, some silver linings to the world's current events that are going to really, really benefit our listeners, our investors. So stay tuned for that. But I wanted to first share, I love when I wake up and hear something like this. And I check my phone and think, oh, gosh, it's another thing I've got to do, right? But you know, not always. Sometimes you get a really nice message like this from one of our listeners. This one is from Jeremy. Jeremy, thank you so much for the kind words. And here's what he said. Hi, Jason. I suspect you're getting inundated with these types of messages, but I really wanted to say thank you for all the ways that you've enriched my life. I started listening to you about four or five years ago, and without that, I would be in a much worse place than I am now. I'm sitting uh, in a nice position with the real estate holdings as a result of your education. So I've been to several conferences. I came to Kauai with the um, uh, Mastermind Group at one time. Unfortunately, I can't come in the future just currently just because of uh, just timing but but have just really enjoyed it and just wanted to express my thanks i think you're a great thinker more importantly you're a great communicator and educator of those thoughts so thank you again bye hey jeremy thank you so much i really appreciate the kind words and we'll keep all of this good research and all of these good ideas come in your way. And if you're listening to the show and haven't reached out to us yet, we'd always love to hear from you at jasonhartman.com slash ask. Comments, questions, criticism. We take criticism too. We don't take it very well, but we take it. <laughs> Just kidding. No, constructive criticism is always appreciated as much as anything. Listen, I don't know everything, 
We don't know everything on the show. My guests don't know everything. Uh, so if you've got other thoughts that, you know, disagree and, you know, will make us think, please share them. JasonHartman.com slash ask. Okay, those mind-blowing statistics. Are you ready? Are you ready for this? So based on Google search volume, you know, when those people go on the line and they ask the Google that's from a movie. And it, <laughs> when they go online and, and they search, the search volume, the monthly search volume after the past 15 years for the phrase work from home, okay? Work from home. Here are the stats on that. Now, as I've been saying, especially since the coronavirus outbreak, the Cerveza sickness, the home is the center of the universe, and it is becoming more and more so. Home gym equipment is selling like hotcakes. If you're in that business and you listen to the show, you already know. Congratulations. Yes, you are making a, a fortune right now. Home office equipment, home desk, chairs, anything for the home office or the home gym, those things are selling really well. And this leads to increased demand for housing. Like I've said before, if someone is in a roommate situation or they're a couple and they divorce, it doubles the demand for housing, double. And 84% of Americans live in urban environments. And my prediction that will come true, I'm so confident in this prediction, <laughs> by the way, that there is going to be a mass migration to suburban living where people can socially distance, okay? Wow. Just get past this little crazy time now. Don't let it get to your head. Remember yesterday's show, my four pieces of advice. Number one, stay calm. Number two, keep good counsel. That means listening to the show. Number three, keep your eye on the ball, on the big picture, the long game. We are going to get through this possibly in five or six weeks. I mean, like, these things come and go pretty quickly. Of course, there will be lagging economic impact. I don't deny that. I, I don't live in a cave, okay? Overall, the trend is really good for real estate investors who have been following our advice for the last 16 years, okay? And it's only going to get better in terms of demand for the type of housing you'll find at jasonhartman.com properties, or our investment counselors will help you with that. Um, okay. Number four, so stay calm, keep good counsel, keep your eye on the ball. Number four, take action. Don't let current events freak you out or panic you. Follow your game plan. A lot of you entered a few years ago our five-year plan contest, and you submitted some great videos, and we picked the winners at our annual Meet the Masters conference. Hey, who knows how many conferences we're going to be doing in the future, right? Industries are changing. Money is moving around, and we want to help you capture as much of it as possible in this uh, in this time of change. So, uh, but at our Meet the Masters, we we announced the winners of those video contests. Hopefully, all of you are listening right now, and you did a great job. Stick to your plan. Keep your eye on the ball. Okay, so Google search volume for the phrase work from home over the past 15 years has, of course, shot through the roof. 
you know, the famous concept of the hockey stick graph? Well, this isn't even a hockey stick. It is literally a straight up line. The search volume for that phrase has absolutely skyrocketed. Okay, so if you look at it back in 2005 up till, you know, it kind of increases during the Great Recession in 2009, and I'm looking at a graph here, so I'm just trying to visualize it for you. It's a Wall Street Journal graph. And then it goes down again in probably, well, at the lowest point in about middle of 2010. Okay, I guess that's maybe reflective of people getting back to work. Uh, I'm not sure as, you know, coming out of the Great Recession. It goes up a little bit shortly after that in the latter half of 2010. And then, you know, it's about the same. And then 2016, interestingly, there was a, a spike in the search volume for work from home. And I, I don't know, was that the Trump election or... Uh, I'm not exactly sure what that would be attributed to. And it's been a little higher since, you know, technology has allowed people to work from home, of course, uh, more conveniently. But with recent events, just in the past month or so, that work from home search volume has shot through the roof. In fact, it goes up to the highest point on the graph, which is 100 Okay, the normalized amount being around 20 to 25. This is above 100. It, it broke the graph. Okay, so millions and not millions, hundreds of millions of people, hundreds of millions of people, possibly even billions of people are interested in working from home. Let them rent that home from you. Now, maybe next week, I'm going to share some other amazing statistics with you. Don't have time to share them all now because we've got to get to our 10th episode show today. And I'll tell you about that in a minute. But I want to talk to you about the number of Americans that are sort of eligible to work from home. How many of those jobs are can be done at home? How many of those people are eligible to work from home? And how will that not affect you, but benefit you. Because now everybody in that crappy little one or two bedroom apartment, guess what? They need more space. Okay. If they're going to work from home, they need more space. And guess what? Their kids, if they've got grown kids, may not be going back to a university. And if they've got younger children, those kids might be homeschooled. Okay, another prediction I'll make, we're going to see a huge increase in the homeschooling trend, okay, as people want to keep their kids safe. So times they are changing, okay, as what was that Bob Dylan, I think said that times they are changing, and they really are. So all it takes is us being aware of these changes and positioning ourselves, our investment portfolios, and our mindset so we can take advantage of them. A lot of really good things coming out of tragedy all the time, okay? So hopefully you are staying well, staying home, socially distancing. Hopefully you live in suburbia already <laughs> because suburbia is coming back in a big way, in a big way. And hey, uh, a lot of you have responded, by the way, speaking of work from home, to my tax sale promotion. Um, this is a side hustle where you can make money in the tax sale business. You also learn more about real estate naturally in doing that. And a lot of you have purchased that program. You've been getting my emails. If you haven't been getting those, if you're not on that email list, by for example, uh, reach 
reach out to us at jasonhartman.com ask and say that you want to know more about the tax sale business opportunity where you can make a, a part or full-time income working from home, <laughs> again, doing tax sales and being involved in that uh, side of the real estate business, okay? Uh, and that's not an investment, by the way. That's more of a, a business. It's it's more of a, you know, a side hustle, a, a home-based business opportunity, okay? So check that out, jasonhartman.com slash ask. Let us know if you want more information about that, and we'll get it to you. And every 10th episode show, we go off topic, we discuss something of general interest. And today we're going to do something we've never done before. Hey, amazing, uh, crazy times lead to changes. We got to make some changes. So what we're going to do today is we're going to play for you a 10th episode show. And it is a 10th episode show that I grabbed from a interview I did on my holistic survival podcast. As most of you know, I've got many, many different podcasts out there a whole podcast network on a variety of subjects. Well, my number two show for many, many years was the Holistic Survival Show, the tagline protecting the people, places, and profits you care about in uncertain times. I started that show during the Great Recession when people were very uncertain about things and uh, mostly focused on the economy. But of course, everything is related to the economy. So you're going to find this episode that I'm about to play for you very interesting in how it has so many parallels to what's going on today with the pandemic. And this is about Ebola, which thankfully we don't have to worry about Ebola in most of the world, uh, in the developed world at least. But what you'll find is that everything the guest is talking about with me is surprisingly parallels what we're reading and hearing about on the news today, about the hospitals, about the infectious disease issue, and all this kind of stuff. Um, Thankfully, coronavirus is not as infectious as Ebola or measles or smallpox or any of those you know, really, really scary diseases. This one is much less scary, okay, uh, as we know, and uh, and hopefully we'll get it uh, contained with our flattening the curve and socially distancing. And by the way, as an aside, there are some really interesting conspiracy theories, maybe, maybe not a conspiracy theory, maybe actual fact, we don't know, about herd immunity and the government's reaction and maybe intentionally... Um, being less careful than some of us might think they should uh, be uh, based on the goal to develop herd immunity. So we'll probably talk about that on a future episode, or maybe maybe I'll talk about that on the Holistic Survival Show. All right, without further ado, let's get to this episode recorded about 10 years ago, which is totally applicable today, about infectious disease. And listen as I talk to this expert and kind of bring it to mind with what you're hearing and reading in the news today. Okay, here we go. If you need us, our investment counselors are here for you, jasonhartman.com or 1-800-HARTMAN. Feel free to call us there. And let's listen to this episode of the Holistic Survival Show. Welcome to the Holistic Survival Show with Jason Hartman. The economic storm brewing around the world is set to spill into all aspects of our lives. Are you prepared? Where are you going to turn for the critical life skills necessary to survive and prosper? The Holistic Survival Show is your family's insurance for a better life. 
Jason will teach you to think independently, to understand threats, and how to create the ultimate action plan. Sudden change or worst case scenario, you'll be ready. Welcome to Holistic Survival, your key resource for protecting the people, places, and profits you care about in uncertain times. Ladies and gentlemen, your host, Jason Hartman. Welcome to the Holistic Survival Show. This is your host, Jason Hartman, where we talk about protecting the people, places, and profits you care about in these uncertain times. We have a great interview for you today, and we will be back with that in less than 60 seconds on the Holistic Survival Show. And by the way, be sure to visit our website at holisticsurvival.com. You can subscribe to our blog, which is totally free, has loads of great information, and there's just a lot of good content for you on the site. So make sure you take advantage of that at holisticsurvival.com. We'll be right back. What's great about the shows you'll find on jasonhartman.com is that if you want to learn how to finance your next big real estate deal, there's a show for that. If you want to learn more about food storage and the best way to keep those onions from smelling up everything else, there's a show for that. If you honestly want to know more about business ethics, there's a show for that. And if you just want to get away from it all and need to know something about world travel, there's even a show for that. Yep, there's a show for just about anything. Only from jasonhartman.com or type in Jason Hartman in the iTunes store. It's my pleasure to welcome Dr. Lee Heeb to the show. She is Iowa's Libertarian candidate for governor, and she is a practicing orthopedic surgeon. She has become kind of the go-to person on the subject of Ebola. We've got to think, is this hype or is it a real threat that we all need to be very concerned about? Lee, welcome. How are you? Well, very good. Thank you for having me. Good, good. It's good to have you. And uh, we tried our interview before on Skype and the connection just wasn't working so well. So we are on a cell phone and uh, we'll do the best we can with sound quality here. Ebola, real threat or a lot of hype? Well, it is a real threat. I mean, right now, I think we're all holding our collective breath to see how many people pop up with this. It's a bad disease for which we have no vaccination and no treatment except supportive care. So we can take care of the onesies, twosies, you know, the Eric Duncan. But the problem is if it starts spreading like wildfire, we've got problems. And, you know, we have a lot of really smart people in the CDC. They really do know how to take care of this. The problem is we're the, the people at the that are in charge of the CDC and many government agencies are political and they're choosing to be politically correct and not really choosing the the right medical answer. You know, I just, I just tweeted out the link on my tweet feed about the CDC's article on quarantine. You know, the, the problem is when you have no treatment for a disease, the only way you can get it under control, something this bad is to stop the transmission. And that means stop the movement of people. It's just got to be done. You know, it's, it's absurd to say that you're in self-isolation, like this doctor in New York, and that self-isolation consists of going in a subway and then going bowling. I mean, you have to ask yourself, what's not self-isolation? Vomiting in Macy's? I mean, it's just absurd. So we really have to have to. And, you know, it's it's not – I'm a libertarian. I believe strongly in, in libertarian principles in the Constitution – but you don't have the right to threaten somebody with a baseball bat, even if you don't hit them with it. You can't just keep swinging at them. And essentially, that's what you when you've been exposed to something like Ebola. And let me tell you, the, the bioterrorist threat that is the most fearsome is smallpox. So if we can't handle this, this should be a knock on the door. We have to have a system in place for dealing with these things because they're out there and they're bad guys that want to get hold of them. And in this case, they can get a hold of the agent. 
Now, for most Americans, let me just tell you, I'll tell you what I've told my boys about smallpox, and for some, to a lesser degree, it's true about this. If this really starts cropping up in multiple cities, personally, I would stop flying for a while. And the way you protect yourself is simply not going to the area of outbreak and not being in transit where people with the outbreak, with, with exposure. This isn't something you need to duct tape your window. Flying is the same as cruise ships. I mean, a cruise ship would be dangerous as well, right? Yeah, I mean, if there's really an outbreak that's not under control, I purposely wouldn't go on mass transit. That's that's exactly right. That's the first thing I would cut down. And, you know, the solution in Liberia, this is the sad part, this could be solved in Liberia. What they need to do is they need to shut their borders, not to, not to people coming in and giving them help from the outside, but to them flying out. That's That's just common sense. And then the second thing is they need to stop transportation between cities and towns. And then in those towns where the Ebola, that are considered hot zones, where the Ebola is, is raging, you stop transportation between households. And the role of the international community, really, in my opinion, this is just my, my plan, but this is, this is the tried and true plan we've used over centuries, is then we bring medical care and food to your house. You don't move. So people that, you know, that we could we could supply food and hazmat suits as could the rest of the international community and let people be taken care of in their homes. But don't don't have people running out foraging for food. That is what's going to cause this thing to keep continue. This would burn out in two months if we just that's how it used to be when it was just in the jungle. It would just burn out in a couple months or less. And it would burn out because the, the people who have it, would they die? They would die. And, and you know, yeah. the sad truth is we can't make. Liberia, a first world medical facility in the time it would take to solve this problem. So what we have to understand is, and, and to some extent, we can't even save our own people. You know, look, at we've had, I think we're up to 24 doctors without borders, and I think 16 are dead. So, you know, the, the problem is those who are going to die are going to die. Those that are going to live are going to live, but then it's going to be done. It's not kinder to fail to quarantine people and let this kill thousands. You know? oh, couldn't agree more, of course. Stop it now. Stop okay, it now. so uh, yeah. let's talk about the treatment side of it. There is no treatment and no cure, but we've had a couple of recoveries, haven't we? Well, you know, your ability to recover, I mean, they had done one, I shouldn't say there's no treatment. They have done one treatment now that seems to be helpful, and that's they've taken blood transfusions from people who have survived a bowl and presumably have antibodies to it. That makes a lot of sense. You know, how, many, how much of that blood's available is the question. That helps, them, again, when you have one or two victims, not if you have thousands. Um, you know, I suspect that our survival in America is going to be much better than in Liberia based on sanitation and health, general nutrition. So our immune function is better. You know, the people, it, it's just like, you know, George Washington survived smallpox because he was just a tough dude and he had a great immune system. And people in the old days, I mean, people, the healthier you are, the better chance you have of surviving it. And people have certain quirks of their immune system that may make them more susceptible and, or less susceptible. But it's Right now, it looks like this particular outbreak is about 50 to 55% fail. What can one do to strengthen their immune system? Well, actually, um, you know, I'm, I have a, I don't know if you do this, but I'm also fellowship trained in anti-aging medicine. And that's kind of my, my new career path and my big hobby um, and my semi-retirement. But basically, and I have a book coming out called, called Surviving the Medical Meltdown, which is, you know, getting what to do when you don't have a doctor available in the future, because I'm afraid that the medical system is about on the bridge of collapse. But the whole center of that book is exactly what you said, is how to, how to be as healthy as you possibly can. And I'm going to tell you, if I had to pick one thing to tell people, the, the biggest, it seems to be one of the miracle hormones we have is vitamin D. It's not really a vitamin. It's really a hormone. And if you... D, you said D, right? D is in dog, yeah. D, yeah, okay, D, D3. 
Um, it turns out that almost everybody's D is low, unless you happen to be a native, you know, Aboriginal that lives on the equator and wears a loincloth. Your D levels are low. Um, it, you know. In other words, because that person, that Aboriginal, spends a lot of time in the sun, right? The sun. Yeah, but the problem is the sun. The sun has bad side effects too, like skin cancer. So, we, getting the D from not only not just sun is is a good idea, right? Right. And, and, and honestly, we just don't live a lifestyle that, that would work for. It's not just about the hours in the sun. It's also that if you take baths, it takes the oils out of the skin. And there's lots of different things. Um, a friend of mine who played 18 holes of golf six days a week in Arizona, where you are, I guess, um, he, he, he basically, his D was 20, which is really, really low. And, you know, and he wouldn't believe me until I kept telling him, you should take vitamin D. No, 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 I play golf. Well, it didn't work. So... I take 10,000 units a day. It's been shown there's never been an overdose of 10,000 units a day of vitamin D3. And in the Japanese study they did about influenza, they showed that having vitamin D levels elevated was more protected than the influenza vaccine. Now, influenza is a, vac is a virus also. And presumably, I mean, it just seems to be that people that their D levels are up have less diseases, including cancer. It turns out you get your vitamin D level over 55 and your, your risk of breast cancer goes down by 83%. You know, we never hear that from the government agencies, but the truth is there's a lot you can do to make yourself healthy. And that's probably, if I had to pick one thing, of an it, it, vitamin D3 actually heals the telomeres, the ends of your DNA, so you have less repli replicative uh, mistakes. So I get all my patients on that. I have another show that I'm just launching called The Longevity Show. And uh, I am actually, uh, I had my telomeres tested because, I, you know, I'm interested in doing research for my show. And uh, fortunately, according to my telomeres, I'm a little younger than I really am, which is good news. But uh, I, I started taking TA65, which is one of the other things they say you can do to lengthen the telomeres. I'm not exactly sure about that yet, but but it is, it's fascinating. Oh yeah, no, this is, well, yeah, no, that's very interesting. And I've thought about doing that, but I'm not convinced about the drug. You know, I mean, if I were convinced about the drug, I'd test my telomeres. But like, I'll wait and hear from you to see what, what she thinks. But. Yeah, I'm not convinced either. But the jury's out. I'll let you know in a year. Yeah. Yeah, definitely take D3. And, you know, other things, obviously good nutrition. Now, I'm a real believer in um, eliminating gluten from the diet. I think when we look back in medicine in 30 years, you know, and I have a whole chapter about why your doctor's out of date in that book. And this has to do, again, with, you know, as, and I don't say this just as, this is why I'm a libertarian is because I've seen what government does to everything. And every, everything it touches, it poisons in some way. And it makes, we're practicing 30-year-old medicine. If you're doing a longevity show, you know this. But the standard medicine your doctor standardly gives you is out of date because of, and one of the main reasons is, the, the government says, the, the state medical boards of basically all states say, their standard of care is if you're not doing what 90% of your colleagues are doing, you're out of date. Or you're, we consider you wrong. Well, but you know, not in the old days, we'd consider the 10% leaders in their field, but now we thump them. And so people tend to go back and use these old methods just not to get trouble, but it's not ideal. So um, I, I think we're going to look back and say gluten was a bad actor. It turns out there's no question that gluten is the cause of autoimmune disease like rheumatoid arthritis. There's a big Scientific American article on that a few years ago. There's books been written about that. But in my own experience, getting off gluten has changed lots of things in my health. And I, I just, and you get a better, you can see it happening in people when you get off gluten. Lots of things get better. So I, it, it's a constant foreign protein that attacks your immune system. Now, it attacks people in different ways. 
but if you want to be as healthy as you possibly can so you don't die from these bad viruses that are going around, that's one of the things to do, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. So so D3, um, get off gluten, take D3, get off gluten. Anything else to uh, become strong? Like you said, uh, you know, George Washington was just a tough dude. Yeah. I think everybody wants to be right. be tough, yeah. you know, when, when any any sort of thing goes around. It's, you know, not just Ebola, of course. Right. Well, I, like I said, I think gluten is a huge one. And in general, uh, get off the low-carb diet. I mean, or I mean, get off the high-carb diet. I mean, we were meant to be... Um, meat and fat eater. Paleo. Really, I, I'm not really the paleo paleo diet person. You know, I'm I uh, I think in general, you know, um, yeah, I think you need good sleep. And a lot of people we extend. There's a great book by T. S. Wiley called uh, Lights Out, and it's about the problems of us extending our daylight hours through electric lights, and and we really screw up our hormone production and do a lot of bad things by trying to, instead of living by the sun cycle. Some of the healthiest people I know are the old farmer friends I have here in Iowa who live by the sun cycle. When it gets dark, they go to bed. When it gets light, they get up and go to work. Being in harmony with nature is a great idea, and I try to do that myself. Uh, Still can't seem to sleep long enough, though, but, uh, you know, I I do, I wake up a little bit before the sun usually and uh, dim my lights in my home so that I naturally become tired in the evenings. Oh, that's good. Yeah, Yeah, no, that's that's the way to go. That's what Suzanne Summers is like talking about how she she dims her lights and everything. Mm -hmm. You know, I I mean, the the home, the the, the pillars of anti-aging medicine are basically good nutrition is the the basis, you know, good sleep. Exercise. I, I think I, I love weightlifting. I think it's probably the most beneficial exercise you can do for yourself. We were meant to pick things up and put them down, heavy mm-hmm. things. Right. And and uh, and then take the right supplements. And bio, if you if you're like I'm 62, so it's bioidentical hormone um, replacement. I believe in. So I do all those things, and I feel pretty good. So I'm doing what I can to. But the other thing is, like I say, if it gets to the point where this is really popping up all over the place, it's time to cancel that cruise, in my opinion. What else uh, should we know about Ebola? So so be strong, have a strong immune system, um, more on the government's response and what the government is you know, doing, not doing any criticisms of government. Well, I mean, it's just insane for them, for the president, for example, to say you can't get it on a bus and then turn around and say, but don't get on a bus because you might give it to somebody. I mean, you know, I think a 10 year old can figure out the logical fallacy there. That's just, you know, we, we, this is not truly airborne. It doesn't go through vents, you know, smallpox in the last known case in Europe went out the window of a German hospital into another wing and killed some student nurses. That's airborne. Okay. This doesn't do that. But what it does do is it, it, it's, it really comes out apparently in all of your body fluids, including sweat. So Dr. Arno said the other night, I heard him, he's, he's one of the smart guys from the CDC. And he said, he knows two doctors that just touched a patient and got, and was killed by the virus. So this is not just like, you know, when they first came out and said, oh, this is bloodborne, they were making it like HIV. You know, they were so worried about people being stigmatized. They just were so worried about the political correctness aspect here. They're, they're not being scientifically correct. And it's not like HIV. Yes, it's in the serum, it's in the blood, but it's but it, but HIV doesn't come out in your sweat. It doesn't come out in your tears. Nobody gets it from you know, that kind of casual contact. This you do. 
So that's the, that's the point. Now, the other thing we don't know about it is how long it lives on fomites, meaning the intermediaries, you know, inanimate objects. Like when Eric Duncan was in the emergency room checking in, did he chew on the tip of the pen? You know, you know, he had his hands all over. He was vomited. He had his hands all over the, the desk. How long does the Ebola live on those surfaces? We don't know. There's one study I just read off the uh, NIH, the National Institutes of Health website. that said it lasts up to 50 days. Well, that could be a real problem. So I don't think we're out of the woods yet here, but I think it's looking better that we don't, we're not having a mass outbreak so far. I, you know, that's assuming our government is actually telling us about who is really coming down with this. I mean, I hate to be skeptical, but these guys have not been real forthcoming and they've, they've kind of dissembled rather than be, be straight up about this. So I have to say, I want to know what happens to his fiance and I want a negative as well as a positive, you know, it's a physician. When I when I when I wait to hear the news, that's the kind of thing I wait to hear from. Okay, he got home to the from from touching Ebola patients, getting exposed to Ebola. He comes down with it. He has a fiance. Presumably, they at least kiss. What happened to her? I want to know. You know, when I hear that, mm -hmm. how come we don't know that? I well, mean, that's, that's amazing. How come that we don't is, know? You see, that's it's it, the silence is deafening, and I that worries me a little bit because I think well, wouldn't wouldn't the I mean the media is not a lapdog. Well, not completely, but uh, you know why wouldn't the media have figured that out by now? You know, I, so, I some ambitious reporter would be you know anxious to break that story, right? Well, one would think. I tell you, I've had my own experiences with the media as a libertarian candidate for governor in Iowa, and. You say they're not the lapdogs, but they get paid. They make a lot of money from government, and they don't go against the government. So, you know, in our state, it, it almost feels like there was an edict that went out this, this cycle. Don't even mention that nasty little word, libertarian, because they keep pesky. They keep popping up talking about the Constitution and things we don't want to oh. talk about. Hey, hey I, you know, when I when I talked to Steve Forbes and one of his daughters, they just told me about the second time when he ran. It was a media blackout. Yeah, they just they would do. not cover Steve Forbes. Right. You know, it's, so it's that, just that absurd. They have the power to tell people not to say things. Yeah. So I have yeah. to say we don't know if they now the other side of it is, unfortunately, I with some exceptions, and I don't mean to damn all science writers. There's some very good science writers out there. But most of, let's face it, most of the reporters that are covering this are just parroting what they're being told by somebody. And they're not, they don't really have the scientific background to think about that. I mean, maybe I, to me, it's an obvious question. I mean, you know, we, we've heard a little bit about Duncan's family, but we haven't heard very much lately. Um, I just want to know the negatives as well as the positives. So to know what to think, I, I I know that the cost, I mean, if you look at what's happened at Bellevue Hospital, and this, this is what I've said, my governor in Iowa, uh, who's been in power as long as Saddam, by the way, um, and is, you know, the guy's a Republican, come, comes out and says, we're not going to quarantine Ebola patients. And I said, I said, you know, I know this is not the hugest issue for us in Iowa, but really what does that say? It says that he's willing to say to you, okay, you just got back from Liberia, you were treating Ebola patients, and now you can go work in the daycare camp. You can go teach fifth grade or drive the public bus or be a checkout clerk at the grocery store. I mean, really, is that what he's saying? Because that is the alternative. There's not much in between. And, you know, and so what I said to them, what I've said when people have asked me in Iowa about this, I said, look at what just the cost of this to New York City has been. Besides the subway cleansing and the, the bowling alley shutting down, look at what Bellevue – Bellevue Hospital is about twice as big as the University of Iowa. I mean, it's huge. It's a huge hospital. I think it's bigger than St. Joe's Phoenix. And it has two – it had to ship all its ICU patients to another hospital except for the two patients they're treating because it is so staff-intensive to treat those two patients. 
safely and because they don't want to cross-contaminate to anybody else. It is extremely, there's a huge cost to, to being stupid about this. Yeah, that's for sure. Okay, so a uh, huge cost to being stupid, certainly uh, fair, I think, everything you said about the government. Ebola's been around for a while, though. I mean, how is it that, uh, you know, it, it seems like this is sort of a new, it's well, a different strain. Is that what you're going to say? Well, it's a different strain, but that's not the problem. The problem is transportation. See, it used to be that this would break out in these little isolated villages in sub-Saharan Africa. And the villagers didn't go anywhere. They just all died in place, essentially. Right. You know, maybe a few would live, but they didn't go anywhere until the disease burned out. Maybe somebody would find a few people or whatever. We've looked for years, for decades, we've looked for the intermediary host somewhere in the jungle. And I'm not sure they know. I don't think they know yet. I mean, they looked at bat guano and all sorts of stuff. We looked at what? Sorry, I didn't hear that. It, bat it, bat guano, okay. droppings from bats in caves. I mean, they tried to isolate it from something in some animal vector where it stays alive in between human outbreaks. And I don't think we know where that is yet. But, but the point is what has happened is we've paved the highways now into the deeper jungle areas. And so now when somebody gets sick, there's more of a chance they, they transmit out. What happened in this case was a doctor actually went to uh, one of these jungle villages, got contaminated, got, got infected, and he drove 82 miles out of that village to his local village where he got sick and died, contaminated, I mean, transmitted it to other people who went to the coast. And once it got in Monrovia and once it got into the coastal cities in Liberia, Katie by the Gador, that's when it got out of control. And before anybody really knew what was going on. And then once they figured out what was going on, you know, it's a pretty dramatic disease. Um, most of us have never seen a case. But those that have seen it say it's a pretty dramatic disease. Just you, you bleed out from your orifices and you just it's, it's very dramatic. So that once they figured out what was going on, the problem is then you have to calm the fear and you have to you have to contain it. And that's if they'd done it right initially, it wouldn't have been this damaging. But they didn't contain it. Right. Yeah, that's terrible. That really is. Anything more you want to mention about Ebola? Just, you know, do you want to talk about, you know, the, the, the military? I mean, what would happen next? Say it did get really bad. The, the other thing we've got to be afraid of is like an excuse to use martial law. Some say this is an excuse to get our troops into these African countries uh, for other reasons. Um, you know, what do you think about uh, our military being over there, you know, and, and then bringing it back? Yeah, I think that's really a mistake. I, I don't think this is is the role of our military. And for once, where's the UN? I mean, the UN is, for, the World Health Organization is part of the UN. If there were once in a lifetime, the answer is the UN. This is it. I mean, I just wonder why they don't use those. Oh, the, the UN is a joke. I know it is. I mean, and I, so and I say reasons, that with some you know? sarcasm, but I'm just saying they always want to invoke the UN for all sorts of other things, but now they want us, you know. It's, it's, but, but I can't think, you know, personally, I'm a little bit, I keep saying this, and, and uh, you know, I've said this several times, is that if, if, if the Obama administration were simply incompetent, then once in a while they would act on random chance alone in the security interest of America. But they never seem to. You know, we've, we've got our troops over in Afghanistan getting chewed up for no good strategic purpose. Now we're sending our – we've let our borders become porous to the point that we can't – we're getting other diseases, by the way, like Chagas disease and multiple drug-resistant TB, which is a horrible disease that's now that we've eradicated from America before pretty much and now is coming back. You know, thank you to this administration for leaving the borders open to these Central and South American um, disease victims. And now we're going to send away our National Guard. I mean, to me, that's the perfect trifecta of just degrading your security. I I'm sorry. I just don't get that. So uh, and, and the other thing, I, I just worry about our troops because 
yeah, you can tell me they're not going to be in. Finally, they've come out and said what they're going to be doing over there. They sent them without telling us really what they were going to be doing. Okay, they're going to be building shelters and, and stations for taking care of the disease. Okay, fine and good. But they are in an endemic country. They're not going to be, well, I mean, well, maybe they are. But our experience in the past with military in diseases, in disease-prone areas, is they get the disease to some degree. I mean, whether we're talking HIV or malaria, we've, we've, we've not been able to contain it and keep it out of our troops. In the past, when the, and I was in the Navy, but in the past, like when we when we did extractions, and it was generally the Navy Marine Corps team that would do that in the SEALs, it would be an amphib ship off the coast of Liberia that would be the backup. So it looks like what they're planning on doing now is if somebody gets sick, I noticed that the military now is building, their, you know, these modules that they shipped the doctor back from Africa. It's an isolation module, but it's a one-person shipment. Okay, it cost like a hundred thousand dollars or something to get him back, and it was for one person. Well, if you really had a lot of people that you needed to ship back, that wouldn't be the way to do it. So I guess the company that's building that that built those modules now is building these troop size modules that can fit into a troop transport, I guess, with eleven or twelve at a time. You know, we need I guess we're gonna if we're gonna do this, I mean they have to be you have to have support for the troops and in general, in America, if this really did become a big problem, I think we could afford to have a – we need to have a center that does nothing but treat Ebola patients if it gets like that. Because, again, you can't shut down every major hospital in America to treat two patients, and that's what we've seen at Bellevue. Um, you know, there are only four hospitals in America that actually have isolation units that can treat these things, you know, like they would do at a high-level facility. So – I, I think that's what we would have to yeah, do. Yeah, it makes sense, makes sense. The, the only problem is we would have to move the Ebola patients. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, this is a, right, this but, is just a huge problem, no question. Yeah, that we can do. With these isolation units, that we can do. I'm not worried about that. And we actually have, I'm near Omaha, and we, they actually flew a patient into UNMC because they're one of the four hospitals, University of Nebraska Medical Center. So that, you know, when you see, the thing of it is, and this is the other piece of disinformation, I think, that the government put out, Oh, everything's fine. We have protocols. As if a protocol, as if giving a hospital that's never dealt with these people, this disease, a piece of paper that tells you the steps to take is really going to answer the situation. No, you need equipment, training, and leadership, all of which we're lacking. But of course, it's like, in all fairness, it's like the first shots in a war never, you know, never go well because you're not expecting it. But, you know, when they're talking about, oh, we have, we have precautions, they were talking about hospital gowns, paper gowns, you know, latex gloves and non-occlusive masks. That's what we use to, to, to help prevent staph and pseudomonas in the hospital. That is not adequate for Ebola. It never was. And that's what they sent the nurses in with. And I think, you know, it's hard. the problem there is it's hard to take them off without contaminating yourself. In the real level four containment facilities like Fort Detrick, what they had is they have biocontainment suits that are washed down and decontaminated before you take off the suit. Well, now, now I guess they're getting more of those out there. But you know, that's the right. I mean, I, I hear the CDC starting to squeak and say the right things. Like, we're going to send – we're not expecting you guys to know how to do it. We'll send a team to you if you have a case. Good idea, guys. That's what you should have done in the first place. Yeah, right. Exactly. Too too little, too late. It's uh, it's a common, common problem. Talk a little bit about your candidacy, if you would, for just a moment. Since you are a doctor, of course, Ron Paul is a doctor. He's a, a politician I followed for many years. What are your thoughts about uh, your your own candidacy, you know, just what, what you're working on? And then, you know, any mentions on Obamacare, because it's, uh, you know, we're, we're talking politics and doctors. So that's a good mix. <laughs> well, you know, Ron Paul is actually a fellow member 
member of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. I'm, I'm one of the past presidents of that organization, and we're kind of the libertarian arm of the of the of the med- of organized medicine. We're the people that actually believe that medicine is between a doctor and a patient, not between a doctor and a government bureaucrat and a patient. And we're kind of, we're the free market arm of, of organized medicine. So, um, you know. I, I, liber, being a libertarian is kind of a process of becoming kind of like Buddhist enlightenment. I, I always tell people, you know, I was a lifelong Republican. I mean, I was a very conservative person and people say, why did you leave the Republican party? And I said, well, I didn't really leave them. They left me. I'm still standing on the constitution. Yeah. To, to coin, to coin the Ronald Reagan phrase. I love that when he, when he left the Democrats. Yeah. yeah I didn't know I'd stolen that from him. Um, you know, I live in a state where we have a Republican governor who has been our governor for the most part of the last 25 years. Yet we have the highest corporate tax rate in the nation, which possibly makes us the highest corporate tax rate in the world. Isn't that sad? We have one of the top personal tax rates. We just got in the last budget cycle, the biggest budget increase in the history of the state. You know, we have 20% more government workers per capita in the state of Iowa than they do in California. This is bad. We are regulated from the time we get up in the morning till the time we go to bed at night. And it's by unelected immortal boards. It's not your elected officials. It's, it's, it's like Professor Hamburger at, at Columbia Law School says about it. It's the abrogation of constitutional authority. It's, it's just taking authority onto the, into the governor's hands and setting up these administrative offices that do what exactly what the Constitution prohibited. And that is, you're, there's only supposed to be three ways you make law, and it should start in the legislative body. You shouldn't be able to just set up, and Obamacare is a perfect example of this, as is Medicare. It's not, it's not what the legislators wrote. Like, you know, I was on John Stossel years ago when he was, when Obamacare was first published and he, he, he brought out this big clump of papers and put it on the desk like, you know, this is good sleep medicine for your kids, read them this bill. And he said, 2,800 pages. And I said to him, I said, you know, that's not really important. That could be an untranslated Greek ode for Obamacare. What, what you really need to know is it's the one line that says, we authorize health and human services to write administrative code to carry the force of law. And that's what we have at all levels of government, but especially our state has, has really gone for this. And we don't, you know, here we are in Iowa, raw milk is illegal. I tell people if, if raw milk is illegal, you know, what, what, how do you think you're going to be allowed to choose your health care? Or how are you going to be able to carry a weapon? I mean, let's take back our state for liberty. That's why I'm in this race. And honestly, I think we've done a lot. You know, the first thing we've done is we've raised the consciousness of Iowans. And I know that's happening because uh, a lady was heard at the grocery store the other day saying, you know, I didn't know it, but I think I might be a libertarian. You know, when I started (laughs) started in this race, people thought libertarians wore tinfoil hats and were all about marijuana legalization, you know. So we've moved the ball. We've moved the football forward and we've shown them, no, we're about liberty, constitutional liberty. And that no matter what your issue is, you free people do it better. And we just have to get back our individual liberty. Um, the other thing I think we're I think we've exposed. You know, you were talking about the media. You know, uh, we've been we've been having a lot of fun with Iowa Public TV, but they have excluded. They this year they completely excluded all third parties and independents from the debate. Now I was one of the nine states. Again, when you have what I've learned in this, I guess is my process of becoming. What I've learned in this is we have two big parties. And they may look like they're different. They may act in public like they're different on social. Oh, they're the same they're the thing. Same. They're the same well, thing practically. You know, it's, not yeah. just practically. Get this one. You can't make this stuff up. In the state of Iowa right now, Jack Hatch, the Democrat challenger, is the business partner 
of the gov- the Republican governor's biggest contributor. So not only did oh they, my yeah, god, yeah, you can't make you can't this make stuff, stuff up. That's insane. So basically, because we've been at first, we wondered why is there no evidence of campaign workers for Jack Hatch? Well, it turns out he's never been running against the governor. He's been running with him. It's been a fix. It's like WWF, you know, world wrestling. You know, yeah. that's exactly the analogy I always use. You know, it's like a wrestling match. It's all just fake. Right. Now, the, the you know, Democrat, it's a it's a fake. It's a fake opposition. You know, and I didn't realize how fake it was and how criminal this whole enterprise was until I got really into the race. And I've been watching it. And they've because he owns the opposition, except for me. And because he owns the media, I mean, they control the electoral process, the political machine. And I don't care if your sister Teresa, if you've been in power for 20 years and you've taken over the electoral process, that's an evil thing. That is inimicable to, to individual liberty and to us maintaining liberty for our children. We need to we need to stop this. So if for no other reason you need to you need to vote differently, that's it. I mean, you can't keep going down that road. So anyway, Iowa Public TV refused to have us in the debates, and they have all these apparently objective criteria to exclude us. And one of them is you have to be a member of a real party. Well, guess what? You know, the Iowa legislature conveniently, the two big parties voted not to let the Libertarians be a real party, even though they were the third biggest party how, in America. How convenient. A real yeah, convenient. I mean, I mean, can you believe how disgusting that is? A real party? Yeah. Who is it for them to decide what a real party is? How about if the people decide right. that? You know, this is unbelievable. Well, the two party system is a complete, complete scam. scam. It's just window dressing. It's just window dressing. Unbelievable. Well, and it's funny to me, and I say this as a recovering Republican, it's funny to me that I always thought we were the party of principle. And we complained about the Democrats using the Saul Alinsky principle of it's never the it's it's never the issue. It's always about consolidation of power. But now that I'm outside, I see the Republicans doing exactly the same thing. And I'm not denigrating the grassroots guy. I'm talking about at, at the level of governor up, the people that are running for national office, the, the, the big national parties and the big state parties. It's about it's about staying in power. It's not about doing the best for the state or the, or the nation that I can see, um, you know, you know, I mean, because we're seeing commercials that say, I gave you the biggest tax cut in the history of the state. No, Governor, you gave a few of your crony capitalist buddies the biggest tax cut. It's not they didn't give tax cuts to everybody. They gave tax cuts to a few of their friends and at the expense of all of us. And I suspect that in your state and in every state, that's going on to one degree or the other. Um, so in general, I would say it's it, before I tell I tell people it, this election cycle, particularly it's more important to be attached to your liberty, less attached to your political party. And let's take down the two-party system. Let's, let's you know, 60% of people want a third party on the ballot. People pride themselves in saying, we vote for the candidate, not for the party. Let's really start doing that. And that's been the message we've been trying to get out. And I think it's been good. And along the way, we're, we're, we're making fun of Iowa Public TV because we have a little Big Bird uh, video where Big Bird is invited to join the Good Birds Club. And he thinks he should be able to go because he's a good bird. He eats his vegetables and does things for his mommy. But when he gets there, his feet are too big. Objective criteria. So it's been kind of fun. Uh, very good point. Uh, well, Lee, give out your website and tell people where they can learn more about your campaign. Yeah, I'm at www.heb, H-I-E-B. It's I before E. So it's heb2014.org or .com, heb2014.com. And, um, you know, join us on Facebook and Twitter where really most of the action is, but all the issue papers and all the stuff is on the, on the website. And we, we appreciate anybody's support that wants to help. You know, if we're going to save America, we got to save one state at a time. And we're trying to make that be Iowa right now. Excellent. Fantastic. Well, Lee, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for, for inviting me. This has been fun. 
Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. Be sure to check out the show's specific website and our general website, hartmanmedia.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Remember that guest opinions are their own, and if you require specific legal or tax advice or advice in any other specialized area, please consult an appropriate professional. And we also very much appreciate you reviewing the show. Please go to iTunes or Stitcher Radio or whatever platform you're using and write a review for the show. We would very much appreciate that. And be sure to make it official and subscribe so you do not miss any episodes. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Thank you.